This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. My name is Elliot Thomas. This is our Tax Tuesday for today. Uh, sitting in for my boss, uh, Toby Mathis, and I'm joined today by our CFO back from vacation, Jeff Webb. Glad to be here. <laughs> yep, I'm glad to have him back. And just before we get started, of course, this is where we answer your questions, bringing that tax knowledge to the masses. Uh, just want to thank the staff who's helping out here behind the scenes. We have Matthew, Patricia, Ander, and uh, as far as answering questions, we have Dana, Dutch, Ian, Pio, and Troy right now in the background. So they'll be answering your questions that come through over into the chat section or the Q&A section, excuse me. And uh, we're going to go through 10 questions here. We'll show them here at the beginning real quick. Uh, just give me one second here. Through, well, first of all, here's our rules, excuse me. We do answer a live uh, Q&A. That again is the group that will be answering the back in the Zoom. You can email your questions to taxtuesday at andersonadvisors.com. That's where I actually drew these questions that we have today from. So we do answer them and we do select from them and try and get to as many as we can. If you need a detailed response, you will be needed to become a platinum uh, client or a tax client. And they, we can have those questions answered on the platinum portal then. Uh, we try and make this fast, fun, educational. We want to give back, help educate uh, our clients and 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 those who aren't clients, just to help uh, learn a bit more about tax. So, so I think Patty just added to the chat to make sure if you're asking a tax question that you need answer, to ask it in the Q and A section, not the chat section. The chat section is for making general comments and so forth, making fun of Toby or some stuff go. like that. <laughs> or battling the, the, the battle between Clint and Toby, we can do in there. <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, and I apologize for that. I, I'm used to the, the Zoom meetings where we have the chat, but here it's a Q&A section where we ask the questions. So sorry for that confusion. All right. So going to go through all the questions first that we'll be answering today. Uh, first one, I have an LLC now for small business, and I'm wondering what the benefits are of switching to an S-Corp and what are the tax deduction benefits, uh, what they might be. Number two, hello, can cost segregation and depreciation be done on a property purchased one or two years earlier? Uh, this was a comment I happened to notice in one of the blogs. If so, is it state specific? Uh, would it be a great option if that, it would be a great op option if that was a possibility with rep status, that's real estate professional status. So we'll look into that one. Number three, is there a way to convert from a 401k to an IUL, an index universal life or Roth without having to pay the high tax burden or at least minimize the tax hit? Excellent question there. More questions here. I'm a member of RIN. I purchased a house and a condo in the past few months that two of my children currently live in. Both are in Pennsylvania, where I live. The house is occupied by my son and his fiance as they both attend college nearby. There is a mortgage and uh, my soon-to-be daughter-in-law is on that with me. I pay the mortgage and all the living costs, including tuition. Should I claim this home as a rental? Then I think we're talking about the next uh, thing, the condo here. My son is 26 in his second year of post-secondary education. The condo doesn't have a mortgage. I purchased it with funds from a private Mendy lender in April that I have paid off with a HELOC from my primary residence. I just finished the rehab and she moved in last month. I'm the only one on the deed. I believe she'll only live there for a year or two, maybe. She's a recent college grad, currently a teacher. What would be the most advantageous way of me uh, for me to claim this home rental? Uh, the birth strategy, I'm planning to purchase another home soon as, as, I, as soon as I find a good one, also in Pennsylvania. Uh, during the pandemic, I was uh, resorted to working two W-2 jobs, both are full-time, and take their share of taxes away before I see it in my bank. Due to having two W-2s, I cannot qualify for real estate professional status, nor can my partner. 
what is the best solution to minimize the tax bill uh, coming at the end of the year? By the way, both W-2s, I would be moving to a higher, with both W-2s, I'll be moving to a higher tax bracket that neither W-2 knows about. So I will owe more taxes than they take out at the end of the year, unless I find some other, somehow to get my passive losses from depreciation available to lower my W-2 bill. We'll examine that. Just moved to AR, Arkansas, and I always get that messed up. I always want to say Arizona, <laughs> but uh, the Arkansas, not AZ, and sold and purchased properties here in Arkansas through a 1031. How do we get tax on the remaining amount that was not used as a 1031 replacement property? I reserved some of the money from the sale as I don't know what my tax bracket here uh, is for taxation, how much I would be paying for income tax. Can you give me an answer using the percentage of the sell? We'll do what we can to help you with that one. We might need more detail to really narrow that one down, but we'll be able to walk that through, I think. I'm interested in using an accountable plan. Can you differentiate between a home office deduction, which is on the Schedule A, I believe, and requires an exclusive home office use versus the administrative home office, which appears not to need the exclusive use? We'll definitely tear that apart there and look into it. Next, I'm not qualified as a rep, real estate professional, but with passive losses, is there any way I can reduce my income with these losses? And what can I do before this year is completed? Now, I picked that one because it goes very well with the very next one. We have mainly W-2 income and also some investment properties passive. Our W-2 is too high to get tax deductions from its loss. Besides doing a short-term rental Airbnb, what other ways we can deduct our W-2 income tax? So those two kind of go together and we'll kind of look at that whole issue in a mass spectrum there. My uh, last question here, I think, uh, I think it's the last one. My question is, we are about to apply for a HELOC. We do not own our home yet. Uh, my husband is the only moneymaker right now. We want to buy my daughter a mobile home that happens to be in uh, a town in Indiana, but not Alpine property. It's approximately 47,000. Our credit score is over eight. What can you tell me about uh, what will be our tax obligations and what to prepare for? And should we make it an LLC? Maybe you have a link from a tutorial so you can direct me to as well. Uh, she and her husband will be making the loan payments until they can qualify to buy it in about three years. All right. So we'll get to those questions here in just a second. Just a reminder uh, that you can join us on the YouTube. So subscribe on YouTube for the latest updates. And we have a lot of videos. The, the, the partners are always putting out videos as well as uh, fellow staff colleagues here at Anderson. You can listen to the pod, pod, podcasts at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast and watch the replays in your platinum portal. That's why I'm sitting here quietly. Can't make mistakes if you don't say anything. Right? <laughs> All right. First question. I have an LLC for now uh, with a small business, and I'm wondering what the benefits are of switching to an S-Corp and what are the tax deduction benefits? Here's my thing with, with the small business. It's in an LLC, so it's got the liability protection. If it's not making a lot of money, I probably don't go the S-Corp route. And by a lot of money, I'd say under 50000 yeah, I mean, what's your feeling on that? Yeah, it, it, we we go back and forth behind the scenes talking about this, and I would say anywhere 40, 50. You might change my mind if you really know what you're doing with operating your business. And by, I might, by that, I mean, I might accept a little bit lower, but we like to see a client have a, a fair amount of income before you make that S selection because it is going to add a new tax return to you, mm -hmm. bring a little bit more complication into your world. And uh, we want to see you get those tax benefits. And to be sure, there are tax benefits, and we will definitely go over those. But also, you know, being an LLC, we're, I'm, I was assuming when I first saw this that you're talking about a sole proprietorship, but that doesn't necessarily need be. It could be a partnership. It could be a C-Corp, in which case there's different issues if you went to, a, to a, an S. And so probably wouldn't recommend it necessarily from a C to an S, perhaps. But So assuming it is a, a sole, sole, yep. sole proprietorship, we just talked about if you're not making a lot of money. 
But if you have, say, a high W-2, over $150,000, $160,000, you're already maxing out the Social Security part of that. So the reason we bring that up is because you're not paying Social Security part on uh, the self-employment, on the sole proprietorship. So that gives you even a little more leeway, uh, or let's say less of a reason to go to an S corporation. Yeah, one of the we there's three things, three prongs we typically look at for an S corporation of, of really nice tax benefits leading into that part of it. One of them is savings on self-employment tax. But as Jeff points out, if you're already making a lot of other income on your return, that's covering your bill, so to speak, for the the, the initial part of the 15.3%, which is about 150000 If you're already doing that, well, there's not a whole lot of savings to be had from self-employment savings in an S corporation. If you're under that, well, then that's a different story. If you had no other income and it's just your S corp or your sole proprietorship, excuse me, then maybe, yeah, we will have some significant, possibly some significant self-employment savings plus other tax benefits, which again, we'll get into. But I think that's what's just referring to. Mm -hmm. And so it does kind of matter on the amount of income we have coming in. But once we're there, if we did decide to do an S, two of the things that we typically talk about is the accountable plan, which just means that's fancy for IRS reimbursement. And that's usually where you have your administrative office, which we're going to talk more about later on in one of these questions. Uh, But that's a reimbursement for that. Cell phone, internet, mileage, you're all reimbursements you can do through that. And you can do your corporate meetings through 280A. And those would be your tax benefits. Another benefit, and, and I'm not sure how much of a benefit this is. You can do a 401k plan uh, through the S corporation, but you can do a SEP contribution mm-hmm. through a sole proprietorship. So the big difference I see there is a retirement plan contribution through a sole proprietorship is not deductible to the Schedule C income, whereas a contribution to your retirement in the S corporation does reduce that income. Yeah, we see that reduction from the overall corporation uh, would, uh, income that would otherwise be taxable on through the flow through onto your return. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are benefits like that too. And unfortunately, what this boils down to is that it would really need a, a like a, can, a consult to really look at the numbers to see if this was beneficial to you or not. But just to give you an idea, if we're looking around 50,000 of income coming in, well, then it, it, I think we would typically go stronger towards, yeah, maybe an S corporation might be in your best interest with these reimbursements and, and corporate meetings and things like that and possible savings on self-employment tax. Also, uh, something that we did, I guess we didn't bring up here yet that Toby really hits on is that Schedule C traditionally has been an, uh, a lightning rod for audit, okay, yeah. for audit risk. So that would probably be, the you know, not that we have anything to hide from, you know, audits are not necessarily, if you have nothing to, to hide, you shouldn't worry about an audit, but uh, they do get audited a lot. And so that's one thing that Toby often will tell us, you know, hey, maybe we want to get into an S-Corp because they have statistically a much less chance of getting audited. Great. All right. Number two. Hello. Can cost segregation and depreciation be done on a property purchased a couple of years prior? Uh, this was a comment I happened to notice on one of the blogs. If so, is it state specific? Uh, would be a great option if it was po- a possibility with rep status. So let's, let's talk about the first part of the question. You can go back in time and do the cost segregation. Let's say you bought the property in 2020, it's now 2022. You could do the cost segregation. That depreciation from the cost segregation would appear on your 2022 return. You don't go back and amend prior year returns. You do what's called a change of accounting method. And what that allows you to do is catch that depreciation up 
and and collect all the from the cost segregation. Now, I like that he points out about the state by state issue. It's not a state by state issue because it's one or two years old. It's a state by state issue because some states, and we're going to use our friend California, and other states don't allow bonus depreciation. So I do a cost segregation. I end up with $100,000 of bonus depreciation. And I got this huge deduction on my federal return. And then I look at my California or whatever state it may be return. And I still owe. And I still owe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the big thing. The state-specific, while it's, uh, the issue of state-specific is always there when you're dealing with California. Uh, and you know this is one of those times where you have to know the state you're in and whether or not they allow that bonus appreciation. California is not alone in this. There's other states that don't recognize that as well. I think they're mi- the minority, but uh, they are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you did have the rep status, though, and this was on long-term rentals and they were in that it, you'd aggregated or this was a property that you were materially participating in, in major 750 hours, et cetera, all those tests, then yeah, this would be a great play for writing off against ordinary income on your return. That's correct. Yeah, this is, I'm sure this is coming up later, but if you, you do not have rep status or can't get rep status, normally cost segregation is not a great idea. Yeah, the, about the only time that will come would be beneficial is if you had an abundance of positive passive income and you still were trying to write off against it. That would uh, be about the only time I would still recommend rep if you didn't have. Like, sorry, ma- like maybe they've invested in Toby's Pizza Shop that's just making exactly. money. Exactly. That thing, I, yeah, every time I talk to Toby, that thing's doing great. So, <laughs> all right. Next, number three, is there a way to convert from a 401k into an IUL index universal life plan? or Roth without having to pay the high tax burden or at least minimize the tax hit? So I've seen the strategy out there converting from a 401k to an IUL. Each has their own advantages. The problem is you are going to get a tax hit if you take 401k money and put it in an IUL. Anything you take out of the 401k money is going to be taxed at ordinary uh, rates. And if you're not 59 and a half, uh, you could be hit with a 10% penalty on top of it. Yeah. Now, there's a way to get out of the 10% penalty. I'm not sure how well it works. And that's uh, there's an exception to the 10% penalty if you have substantially equal payments being paid to you. So first, you'd have to move, roll over your 401k into an IRA, and then start taking those substantial payments. The problem I have with that is if you're wanting to put it in an IUL, you're not going to be receiving large amounts of funds that you can contribute to that IUL, which is what you typically want to do. Yeah, I, I'm i not a, a big fan of what I've read out there about trying to do this other than maybe getting, you, instead of doing the converting, you could maybe take a loan, pay that into the IUL for the premiums or whatever, but you'd have to still pay back on the loan. So that's right. not, a, not a perfect solution either. But I think you still have to, you're going to get hit with the taxes. So you have to figure out what, whether, like the, some of the examples of the IUL has downside protection, whereas the 401k, you could lose a lot of money if you invest wrong. So there are advantages to dis- and disadvantages to that. Maybe you think we're going to be going into a bear market for the next 20 years and IUL would obviously make more money, but 
is it going to make enough to offset that tax burden? Yeah, that liability you're going to get hit with. And I think 72T, was that uh, the mm-hmm. the removal you were talking about yeah. to try and get money out of the 401k? There's uh, rule 72T, they call it, if you take equal payments, but you're paying tax. You know, you just don't get it. You don't have the penalty on them. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's, I guess, that half plus, if you will. So, you know, other than that, as I always bring up this, you, you bring up that last sentence or at least minimize the tax hit. We can always, if you are doing the right type of investments, look for other things on your return. It's just not going to come from this set of facts with the 401k going into IUL. But if you invest in other things that give you a write-off, maybe oil and gas or something like that, or a short-term rental that you are materially operating or something of that nature, we could look for other things on the return to help offset this tax hit. But from this specific scenario of moving 401k to uh, IUL, I don't see a lot of options. Yeah, this is one of those strategies that could possibly work depending. If I'm a high W-2 earner, it's going to trash me. If I'm taking a year off from work or just retired, my income's low this year and I'm married and I, you like, you like you said, you got some other good write-offs. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're in a 12% bracket. Maybe you're in a 0% bracket and can make this work for you. I, I'm much more willing to do this in a 12% bracket than I am a 34 or 37% bracket. Yeah. And, and uh, again, not wanting to speak for Toby, but I've heard him often say, that uh, in these situations, it's tough to make that money back up if you had to pay out that tax bill, if you're in a higher bracket. So he often questions the wisdom of moving into a Roth later on from a plan like this. I know we're all worried about taxes going up, but you got to remember that that loss that you're taking of investment power by paying it into the, the U.S. government. So that's something to take into account as well. But you know, that that's a good point. You mentioned the Roth I would think a lot of the same rule of thumbs of converting to a Roth applied to converting to an IUL. Yeah, because we're still having that tax hit. Yeah. Yep. All right. So hopefully that helped. I'm a member of RIN. I purchased a house and a condo in the past few months that two of my children currently live in. Both are in Pennsylvania where I live. The house is occupied by my son and his fiance as they both attend college nearby. There is a mortgage and my soon-to-be daughter-in-law is on that with me. I pay the mortgage and all the costs of living, uh, including tuition. Should I claim this home as a rental? I'm going to stop right there, okay, and break these up. And maybe this next part, the son of the 26th second year post-secondary education might be part of the same scenario. Doesn't really matter one way or another. But let's separate the house from the condo and just deal with the the, the house going on here. And if you're wondering what a rent is, that's a women's real estate investment network. Yes. It's a group that we've had a lot of a lot of fun working with lately and, and uh, a good success and hopefully been very helpful to them. So we got the house. I think the key, the key here is, you know, do we want to maybe turn it into a rental? Well, that begs the question. I don't know. Are they paying rent? It sounds like you are providing all this stuff to them. And mm-hmm. you can't just write a check or gift it and say, now I'm going to have them pay me rent back. The IRS has seen through that. We've seen the cases. They're not going to accept that. That's a gift. Okay. So we don't have a rental situation here. They would need to, to have earned income and be paying you market rent, mind you, not just rent, but market rate rent before we would have a rental situation. So right now what you have is a second house and you have family living in there. Yeah. So basically what Elliot said, that this is not a rental property at all. The mortgage interest you're paying you could deduct that on Schedule A. Likewise, any taxes that you're paying on the real estate up to the $10,000 cap. So there is that. But otherwise, 
just because the daughter-in-law is potential daughter-in-law is on the mortgage really carries no weight at all. Yeah. It doesn't really change the fact pattern too much because they're not paying anything right now on this as it is right here. And with you paying tuition, I'm sure they're not paying rent. So and all the cost of living, including yeah. tuition. So it doesn't sound like they're paying anything. So I see no rental here. All right. Now moving on to the next one, the condo. It doesn't have a mortgage. I purchased it with PML, private money lending in April, and I've paid that off with a HELOC for my primary residence. I just finished the rehab. She moved in last month. I'm the only one on the deed. I believe she'll be there a, a year or two, maybe a recent, uh, she is a recent college grad, currently a teacher. What would be the most advantageous way for me to claim this home? Rental, birth strategy. I'm planning to purchase another home as soon as I find a good one also in Pennsylvania. So now we've, created a problem with our second home yeah. because we now have more than two private residences. Because once again, the HELOC, I would probably deduct the HELOC as investment interest. I think that's the way you'd want to go because uh, we can't probably get on the schedule A with the two, mm -mm. two house limit. So, yeah. Yeah. You want, you want whichever one has the higher mortgage to be the, your second home. And then the next one uh, would just be investment interest on an investment you own, the, the, the condo. But again, if she is not paying fair rental market rate, market rate, arm's length transactions, so on and so forth, uh, it's not a rental property. And it makes argument even harder in that she's a relative. And I have seen cases where they look into that. Some of them I've seen were more geared towards when you have a, a family member renting a house that you had picked up as a replacement in a 1031. But it, it, the same applies that even if it wasn't part of a 1031, the IRS wants to see that they're paying you know, market rate. And in one particular case I read, they had actually documented, that is the, the, the taxpayer documented that the market rate was say 1,500 to 1,700 in that neighborhood a month. But IRS found someone paying 1800 and they said, well, that's market rate, even though that wasn't the average. And so the IRS can be kind of a play hardball on this one. So I'd be kind of careful with that. So we had one where um, the parents were renting to the daughter. Uh, the rent was like 35000 a year. So expensive place in LA. But when you looked at the daughter's W-2s and her income, her income was less than half of that. So that's almost an automatic Ooh. fail to that test. <laughs> Makes you wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing the IRS is going to see right through. I mean, we would hope <laughs> they'd see that. But uh, anyway, so most advantageous way, probably the best you can get off here is maybe interest investments. Is that what, uh, interest expense? Yeah. And again, you can, you can deduct the taxes on as many properties as you own. But again, I, you still have that $10,000 cap for state and local taxes. Yep. All right. Hang on. Um, she asked about converting to the BRR, which is fine, but I think you want to make, if we're talking about the condo, you want to make that a true rental property first. Yeah. I even see that as being a problem when going to the lender to do the refinance and they're not really seeing a cash flow coming in. Yeah. I see that as a real problem, potential problem for a lender. Yeah. You want to show some kind of profitability, maybe absent the depreciation expense, but yeah. And once I, I think once I get to three true rental properties, I'm probably considering putting them in uh, definitely an LLC. Yeah. 
partnership, but in a partnership. Yeah. Better, better lending terms typically with a partnership. So hopefully that will give you some kind of path going forward on that. Great questions. All right. During the pandemic, I resorted to working two W2 jobs, both full-time jobs, both take their share of taxes away. Uh, due to having two W-2s, I cannot qualify for rep stat, real estate professional status, nor can my partner. What is the best solution to minimize the tax bill coming up at the end of the year? By the way, both W-2s, uh, with both of them, I'll be moving into a higher tax bracket that neither knows about. So I will owe more taxes than they take at the end of the year, unless I find some way to get my passive loss from depreciation available to lower my W-2 bill. So when you fill out a W-4, if you fill it out correctly, and hardly anybody does. No, no one does. There is a place to calculate income from two W-2s uh, for this very reason. I mean, you're exactly right. If I make 50000 in a job, I'm not going to have a whole lot of taxes. If I make $50,000 in two jobs, I'm going to have a whole lot more taxes. And I'm probably going to be under withheld because it's based on 50000 in each job. So the first thing you might want to do is adjust your W-4s. Yeah, you can request more to be taken out. You can request it from both. <laughs> we don't know how much we're talking about in this situation. Rep status doesn't work. You could do short-term rental. I don't know what else you got. Well, I mean, little things that we look at, maybe contributing to a retirement plan. Absolutely. HSA, I don't mean to say that those are small ideas, but they typically wouldn't have that big bang like a, a short-term rental. But HSA, retirement plans, things of that nature, uh, anything to lower your overall tax burden while getting some benefit, even though you lose the cash, it goes into an investment, but you're getting a tax benefit at the same time. So, But I would recommend probably adjusting those W-4s, like just saying, have a little bit more taken out. That way you don't have to worry about cutting a check at the end of the year. You got that burden taken care of, and now you can just focus on investments such as what we were just talking about that can, can help your taxes. So I'm going to approach this from a different angle. This is me. I'm working two full-time jobs. I'm getting two W-2s. Do I want to take a mass amount of money and put it into an investment to save myself some taxes? Because I'm thinking about, I'm working 80 hours a week, and I suppose there was a reason for it. Maybe it's to make the extra money. Maybe it's to just get by to uh, fulfill my needs. But then when it comes to dumping it into investment, I think I'm very careful into what I'm investing in. Yeah. Why are we doing this extra work and putting ourselves through this? One investment that might work, we get into Toby's Peach Shop that we always talk about. Mm -hmm. If you do have passive loss from depreciation, which you're noting here, well, what if you found another passive investment like a pizza shop that you don't have anything to do with, you're just a limited partner that is generating income, that passive income would be offset by the depreciation. Now that is not going to change anything on your return as is, but it's going to help you use that depreciation loss instead of just building up on your return. So that might be something to look at because as Jeff pointed out, there's a reason you're doing two W-2 jobs. And if it is to try and make an investment, you could carefully architect it in a manner that's getting it written off by what we call a PIG, a passive income generator. Mm -hmm. All right. Hopefully that helps you out. I just moved to AR 
Arkansas, and <laughs> sold and per- have purchased properties here in Arkansas through a 1031 exchange. Not Arizona. No, not Arizona. And how do we get tax on the remaining amount that was uh, was not used as a 1031 replacement property? I reserved some of the money from the sale, as I don't know what my bracket here is for taxation, how much I would be paying for tax uh, come tax time. Can you give an answer using percentage of the sale? No. Yeah. <laughs> But we can help you here. We, we can give you an answer. Every dollar that you held back from the 1031 exchange is going to be taxed. Mm-hmm. And the first tax is going to be depreciation recapture, uh, which is a what percent? 25? 20, a maximum of 25%. So you're going to pay, you're, you're going to get taxed on the depreciation recapture first. And then the rest will be capital gain. So let's say you have a $75,000 capital gain total, 10,000 recapture, and you held back 30. Did I make it too complicated? No, I got it. 75, 10, 30. So you're first going to recapture that $10,000 at ordinary rates or 25%, 25 25% year. Thank you. The next $20,000 is going to be taxed at whatever capital gain rate you are. 0, 15, or 20. 0, 15, or 20. And two points here. Depreciation recapture is never going to go above your capital gain. And if you had kept $200,000 of cash, you wouldn't be taxed on all that, just the amount that is capital gain. In this case, I think I said Mm $75,000. So I would pretty much count on every dollar being taxed on somewhere between 15 and 25%. There's a huge bracket for your capital gains at the 15%. I did bring the little cheat sheet here, but it takes me time to find it here. So just is it around a half million or it's 83,000 up to 517,000. That's your 15% capital gains rate. So that's a big chunk, a lot of territory in there. So you can almost bet your, your bottom dollar, I guess, <laughs> in this case, that's going to be at 15%, you know, unless you're over half a million and then it will go up to 20%, just the amount that's above 517,000, mind you. So that will give you a rough ballpark of what you're looking at. But as you know, back to your original, what Jeff pointed out here, the original part of the question, hey, I withheld some of this, the, the money from the sale. That will be taxed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we know it's going to be depreciation recapture first at a max of 25. And then the rest of cap gains, uh, probably a lot of it at 15%. You know, just depends on the dollar amounts we're talking about here. And you know, there, there's nothing wrong with holding money back. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes... You may need a new car or house repairs or any number of things, You whatever you want to do for the cash, uh, with the cash. So it's fine as long as you keep in mind that you will 15%, mm-hmm. 20% maybe yep. is going to go to the government. And 3.8% net investment income tax. Once you get over... Uh, wait, was it 250? Over 250. Right? Yeah. So we can't give you the exact percentages, but hopefully that helps uh, narrow it down for you. And the depreciation recapture is going to be at your ordinary rate. All right. I'm interested in using an accountable plan. Can you differentiate between a home office deduction, which is on Schedule A, I believe, and requires an exclusive use of home office versus the administrative home office, which appears not to use or not to need an exclusive use? I like your inflection when you said, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> You are correct about Schedule A, if this was still 2017. Mm. That was considered uh, the employee, deductions for employees, 
employee expenses, employee expenses like that. Yeah. Unreimbursed employee expenses or something. There you go. <laughs> Forgot about that. That was eliminated at the end of 2017. So that doesn't work anymore. So your only choice really, if you have say, especially an S corporation is, is a reimbursement. So while you don't get to deduct it on your return in a way you still do, because it's being deducted on your S corp return and it's going to lower that S corp income that's flowing back to you. And if we're in an S corp situation, we're using the accountable plan, which means that this, as you point out, this administrative office is a reimbursement. So you're going to get cash back in your pocket. So if you had $1,500 worth of expenses for this office, the, the S corp will cut you a check for 1500 you put that in your pocket tax free, and then the S corp takes a deduction. So your savings on your on your you're saving on your tax return via the the S corp, as well as getting your money back. It's a it's kind of a no brainer to use administrative office if we can if we are in a corporation for that. We can't do that unless we are an employee, and we cannot be an employee of our sole proprietorship or our partnership. Right. So we must be an S corp or a C corporation. Another thing here, though, you get into this exclusive use. You still have to use this for exclusive use of the business. We can't be using it, even if it's a, a an area uh, where you have your your dining table where you would have formal events. So you've turned that into your office, but you you take everything away for one day for Thanksgiving to have everybody in there. You've lost the ability, at least the tax code eyes, to use that as a deduction because it has to be exclusively for the business mm-hmm. on both of them, exclusive and and um, on a regular basis. The use. All right. So hopefully that helps you on there. All right. I'm not qualified as a real estate professional, uh, but I have passive losses. Is there any ways to reduce my income with these losses? And what can I do before this year is completed? Now, this question ties in very much with the next question. That's why I brought both of these in together. So we'll try and look at this whole as, a, as an issue. And we already started to answer this earlier in one of the earlier, earlier questions. Jeff, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> And you brought this up earlier. The only thing you can do with passive losses is offset them with passive income, which effectively means you're not using your passive losses to reduce your income. No, you're just off right. You found some other investment creating more income, but instead of paying tax on it, it's going to be written off by your passive losses. Right. And so that's one thing you can do. But again, we're not lowering taxes, but we're 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 taking advantage of the fact that we have passive losses we haven't been able to use. But then there is the Airbnb, the short-term rental. If we truly qualify for what's in the tax code, a short-term rental, which is not the same definition as the general public out there. But if we have that and we are the one operating it and we're getting services done and, and it's less than seven days average stay, you can do some great things with depreciation to write off against any kind of income on mm-hmm. your return. So that's always a first. That's probably our first go-to or having the passive income generator business or something like that. Again, we have the HSA. Maybe you can contribute to retirement plans, things of that nature, oil and gas investments. If you have a working interest, those are all things that would still help us write off income here. And and keep in mind, and I don't think we can say this often enough, that when we talk about Airbnb, short-term rentals and all, it can't be combined with your other long-term passive investments. They're not the same thing. No, your long-term rentals, which are giving you the rep status or not giving you rep status, that's rental activity. In the tax code, unfortunately, it's very confusing, but a short-term rental is not rental activity. You're a Say home- that again. <laughs> short-term rental is not rental activity. Only the U.S. government can come up with this, okay? So it is being like a hotel, all right? Yeah. When we talk short-term rental, 
here in Vegas, we got a lot of hotels. They're not renting to people, you know, and, and so the average stay is less than seven days. They're providing some services. You look like a hotel, and that's what you want to do for a short-term rental. Because if you're the one managing that, putting more time in than everybody else, it's less than seven days. Now you're no longer in your rep status. It's not a rental. And so you could do depreciation, uh, you know, cost eggs and things mm -hmm. like that and get some heavy write-offs that are ordinary losses that would go against your W-2 income. Now, here's the thing with short-term rentals. Uh, probably should have brought this up before. Clock's ticking. Yes. Please don't go out and buy something on Christmas Eve and try to say it's a short-term rental. It's probably going to fail. That's probably a little harsh. It's going to be a challenge. I think it's true. It's, it's going to fail. <laughs> but, but yes, that is harsh. <laughs> it's going to be a challenge. So if you're talking short-term rentals, you want to go out and buy a property and Airbnb it, buy the property now. Find and buy the property now. I know mortgage rates are high. Uh, I think they actually dropped back down a little bit. Anyway, buy, buy the property now. Get a couple guests to stay in your Airbnb. Less than seven days. Less seven, than seven, seven days. Don't screw it up with somebody staying there for like three weeks. Oh. Don't have it be family. Have it someone related oh, to you. Very important. Uh, we've had that. So if if I buy an Airbnb on December 15th and I have my brother-in-law stay there for, no. <laughs> yeah, just have it someone that's not related. I don't care if it's your you know best friend or something like that. That's probably okay. But you know, just don't make it family. But we're we're talking about cost segregation. Don't worry about the cost segregation right now. Get it established as a short-term rental by having renters in it and a property that you own. You have until the due date of your return, including extensions, mm -hmm. to get that cost seg done. Now, on the other hand, please do not do the cost segregation in October or next year. No. Yeah. Please get it done early. <laughs> yeah, you can't. While we're not in a mad rush to get it done, we also don't want to delay too much into next year to get it done either. So those are things that you might be able to do here if you don't have that rep status going on, which leads us into our next question. Almost similar. We have mainly W-2 income. We also have some investment properties passive. Our W-2 is too high to get deductions from its losses. We're probably not going to be able to do Airbnb, Elliot. Are there other ways that we can deduct our W-2 income? Yeah, we again HSA. Uh, if we're our, our, our income is too high, we probably won't get to be put into an IRA for deduction. But we might have some other retirement plan, like a a solo four hundred and k, maybe even a divine benefit plan if we're lucky at work or something like that. Things that might assist us that way. Max, max out those retirement contributions. Absolutely, and uh, oil and gas is another still popular you know investment, and uh, there you have to have the working interest. That's very important, but it is a write off. Uh, uh, that's uh, substantially uh, all of your investment for the mm -hmm. most part. Kind of things along those lines. I would say some of the syndications, but if they're real estate syndications, you're probably going to be limited on taking in losses. Even other syndications that may have losses that aren't real estate are still going to have passive limitations. Yes. I always like the retirement. If we're not taking advantage of retirement contributions when we're able to, it's almost like leaving money on the table. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, if you, you know, we keep talking about, we talk a lot about Airbnb, obviously, but remember the concept of Airbnb is like you're a motel and that holds true to any other business. So if you, maybe if this is a time in our situation here for this, this uh, taxpayer is asking this question, 
maybe they had thought about a side gig and have something that might have an extensive outlay of, of cash for some asset that's depreciable. Well, you could still do 100% depreciation on that too, more than likely. So maybe, uh, who was it I was talking to? I can't remember what we were talking about. And they have, uh, oh, it was one of our colleagues, uh, used to have a, a dog washing uh, van or something like that. If you went out and that was kind of a side gig you wanted to get into and you bought that van, you could probably take a heavy write-off for that right away this year. It's its own business that will have its loss. And if you materially participate in that business, it's going to have the same effect as having an Airbnb. It's We just always talk about Airbnb because that's real estate. But any business you go into where you're buying a heavy asset that's going to give you bonus depreciation and cause that loss in the first year will have the same effect. One thing we don't talk, really talk about often enough is businesses, especially in pass-through entities that are profitable and we get the year in. And one of our biggest tax planning tools is go out and buy something. Mm -hmm. Your catering service, have you replaced your refrigeration units lately or things of that nature? It's an immediate write-off against the income that prevents that income from landing back on your 1040. Absolutely. Yeah, bonus depreciation is our friend at 100% until the end of this year. It doesn't leave us totally next year. It goes down to 80% though, so. Right, so bonus drops to 80%. Good news is for retirement plans, contribution rates are increasing dramatically. Uh, I believe 10 to 15%. There you go. So we shall be able to put more into our 401ks and IRAs. Perfect. All right. And I think this is our last one. My question is, we're about ready to apply for a HELOC. We do not own our own home yet. And my hubs, hubby, hubby husband is the only moneymaker right now. Now, we're assuming that while you may not own it, uh, you are paying on it because that's why you can do the HELOC. Uh, we went to buy my daughter a mobile home. It happens to be in Bluffington, Indiana, but not an Alpine property, approximately 47000 our credit score is over 800. What can you tell me about our tax obligations and what to prepare for? And should we make an, L an LLC? Maybe you have a link to some of your tutorials or something that can direct me. Uh, she and her husband will be making the loan payments until they can qualify to buy it in about three years. So assuming that we have a HELOC we can get, remember that's on our primary residency. And when you take that and you go out and you buy an investment property, there may be a hesitation to be able to deduct that interest because that HELOC wasn't used on the house that it, it's it's backed by, that your primary residency, you wouldn't took those funds, excuse me, somewhere else. So, but it was an investment. So you could maybe argue as an investment in interest deduction there, perhaps. I don't know what your thoughts are. No, I, I agree with that. But what's your thoughts of using an LLC? Well, yeah. Now, if we're going to do an LLC, we probably are talking business. That means it would be a rental. It doesn't look like, you know, if the daughter going in there, it's going to pay rent. And again, we have to make this a business. It has to be arm's length rent, you know, fair market rent rate. Then yes, put it in an LLC, get it, uh, you get it protected, I would say. I would love to sell you an LLC just because I can, but in good conscience, I don't think this is a business. And I think wrapping an LLC around this property is a bad idea. Yeah. Right now, as it is right now, she's not paying fair market rent. It's not a business, no LLC. So that goes back to that earlier question. So I think you already addressed the HELOC. I'm not really sure what kind of taxes mobile homes pay. Uh, usually you're renting the the pad wherever it's parked. And Maybe some kind of personal tangible property taxes locally, maybe. perhaps. 
what you can do. What else can you do with a mobile home once they start running it out? Once they start renting, I mean, then you can run it as a business if they are paying rents on it. And then they decide to buy in three years. You could make that play, then do put it in an LC, but they got to be paying market rent. You have to run it as a real business. I realize it's family, but that's why we say don't get in business with family because it's got to be a real business. We can't be cutting corners on it and, you know, know, uh, sliding off on the rent a little bit on them. So other than that, I think that's about all we could do. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're talking about her buying it in three years, I don't think I want to treat it as a rental. Probably not. For one thing, if this is not an anchored mobile home, and if you're curious as what that means, you can look it up. But if it's not anchored to the ground, it's five-year property. There you go. And I don't want to depreciate that, that mobile home because if I do, I'm going to have a huge capital gain when I sell it to my daughter. Yeah, I have no basis left mm-hmm. or very little after three years in depreciation recapture. Yep. So... You got to make the decision, is this going to be a rental or not? Or are we just going to kind of eat the cost right now? Maybe be able to deduct some of the, the, the state and local taxes on it, property taxes or something like that. But other than that, you know, it's either you're going to turn it into a real rental business or not. And if it is a real rental business, put it in an LLC. If not, you know, I wouldn't spend the extra money on it. So, so in a couple of these questions, I've noticed people buying properties for their children, especially when they're in school or or trying to get on their feet and all. And, and that's great. I am all for that. You just got to keep in mind that it's probably not going to have a tax benefit, at least currently. Might have an investment positive effect if the mm-hmm. thing goes up in value, but right now you're not going to get that tax write off typically. And that was a real theme of some of the questions. And that's kind of why I picked them to, because we are hearing a lot of those come through Platinum Portal, et cetera. And so I wanted to address some of them here. All right. I think that was our last one. Yes. So as a reminder, if you have questions, please send them to tax Tuesday at andersonadvisors.com or go on to our website, andersonadvisors.com. As a reminder, I believe we do have this Saturday coming up the tax and asset protection uh, workshop. So please uh, feel free to get to be a part of that. I think it starts at nine Pacific, as I recall, if that's right, Patty, maybe you can send that through the chat. Yeah. If you've been to that in the past, maybe you went a couple of years ago. I know I will first went five years ago, it changes. It changes with the law. It changes not only tax law, but legal law. So it's always to go in and get that refresher every so often. You'll never walk away not learning something new. As far as what I'll sit there and listen to it, even if I'm at the office here working, I'm not even part of the, the thing. I'll sometimes try and get in there and listen. And I'm always learning more Clint's always got something new. Toby, I mean, it's the world of tax. There's always, always something new there. And so I would highly recommend it. Get a refresher. If you're if you're not familiar to it uh, or familiar with it, you know, please join. Uh, I think Patty put the link up there, uh, but definitely on our website, we can get in there and uh, andersonadvisors.com and look at events. And uh, that, again, that's this Saturday. Yeah, I believe we also, I had no, we're not promoting this, Patty, but I believe we also have a uh, TaxWise coming up. Yes, November 17th, 18th, I thought, 17th, 18th. 18th, it's a Friday. Um, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> which which Toby always goes through a number of... Oh, heavens, yes. That's the that's his big thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that'll be coming up and uh, a lot of good ideas, tax uh, uh, advice on that. And, and as he says, he's going to overload you. So just you want to walk away with three or four good ideas, two mm-hmm. or three, actually, I think is what he says. 
and uh, always something new there as well to learn. So yeah, there there are several. The tax wise is always excellent. If you have not been to uh, help me tax and asset protection, yes, please do that. If you haven't been in a while, yep. So a lot of good stuff coming up here. Uh, structure implementation workshop. I know we do that every so often. That is probably I think the most cri- once you're in the door. That is the most critical of all the things that we have. Structure impl- well now we call it structural impl- impl- implementation series. So it's SIS now right. instead of. Uh, but nonetheless, same thing. Save great content. That's where they you learn how. Okay, now I got all these tools. How do I use them? Okay, how do I how they all work together? And, and answers that one really common question we get: mm-hmm. Why do why do I have this structure? Exactly. Every time, if you've ever asked yourself why did Anderson give me this, you need to go to that event because that is just huge. Uh, they 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 do a fantastic job. Uh, Bowman, Michael Bowman's on it, one of our partners. And uh, I know that uh, Carl has been on there. He's on a lot of them. I don't know if he's on everyone, but they have set the tone for that program. And there's a lot of great resources and great people always on that uh, that can help you out with that. Toby and Clint and Michael, they like educating the clients. That's the biggest deal. They they don't, it's just not talk. Believe me, we hear it behind the scenes, you know, educate, educate, educate. And that's how we all learn. So huge on that. We want you to be a part of it get that learning in and uh, you'll be all the better for it. All right. Well, I think that's all we have. Thank you so much for joining today. And uh, I think I will be actually back next Tuesday as well, or the next one, but then Toby's after that. Yes. Yes. If you enjoyed Elliot and I come back in two weeks. (laughs) Otherwise, if not, there'll be someone else here. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much and have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 